Hope you have your Bible with you tonight. If you do, go ahead and open it to the book of 1 Peter, turn to chapter 3. And uh, tonight, here's what I want us to do. I want us to just engage in a little bit of a Bible study that uh, has a point at the end of it. And I want us to look at a passage that uh, has often been misunderstood or people, you'll hear people question about it. And uh, I'd like for us to look at that and then draw some points at the end of the passage. In 1 Peter chapter 3, if you'll begin reading with me, uh, let's just say verse 15 and pick up there and we'll read a few verses. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. Having a good, a good conscience that when they defame you as an evildoer, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it's better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom he also went and preached to spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when in the divine long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype, which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What I want us to look at tonight in particular is verse 18. The passage says that we need to be able to give an answer for the hope that we have. Um, note that he doesn't say you have to be able to answer everything that anybody ever asks you about the Bible. Sometimes we can put a guilt trip on ourselves and we can always feel inadequate because I've never mastered anything. Um, that's not what the Lord says here. Peter says, I want you to be able to give an answer. If somebody asks you, why do you have hope? If you've obeyed the gospel, you ought to be able to answer that because of Jesus Christ. You may not know what 666 has reference to or the beast out of the water or the beast out of the land, uh, those things, but that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, I want you to be prepared to tell people why you have hope, and that hope is in Jesus. So we can do that. And then he goes on and says, you know, and if you're going to suffer, and this time, this era, this period of time, they were going through suffering, persecution to be a Christian. He said, it's better if you suffer. And we might think, well, wait a second, there's no better to suffering, period. Suffering is bad. Well, there is a better. It's better to suffer as one who does good than one who does evil. If somebody has punished you or if you're receiving some kind of a uh, punishment uh, from the law because you're, uh, you know, a, a lawbreaker, well, shame on us. But if you've done right and you're suffering, he says, well, remember Jesus went through that. He never did anything wrong. He suffered, um, but he had always done the right thing. So when you do good and suffer, really you're just like Jesus, walk in his footsteps. Then he goes on and he makes that statement in verse 17 or verse 18 and verse 19. How that Jesus suffered 
for our sins and how that um, he was, and the reason he did this was to bring the unjust to God. And how did he do that? Well, it says that he went and preached to spirits in prison who were once disobedient in the days of Noah. So, you know, all those people in the days of Noah that drowned because they wouldn't repent, some say that what this passage teaches is that when Jesus died on the cross and paid the price for our sins, that he went and he preached to all those sinful people, and they got a second chance. I was listening to TV not too long ago, and there were two preachers that were discussing this, and and one guy said, um, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, you know, he went to hell. And the other preacher just was kind of, he said, really? He didn't know that. Uh, he, he went to hell? And he said, well, yeah, Jesus went to hell, and what he did, what he did during those you know, from the crucifixion till the resurrection, what he was doing is he's preaching. He had sermons prepared to, to preach to all these people that were sinners before and gave them a second chance. And that one preacher said, I didn't know that. And, well, he was shocked by the information. Um, there was a man by the name of Jesse Ferguson who lived 160 or 70 years ago, uh, lived in the Nashville area, and literally tore the church up, almost destroyed the church in the mid-1800s in Nashville because he got into a spiritualism. He, he, got, he, he began to communicate to the dead, and, and he held this belief that Jesus went and, you know, if a person died, Jesus would preach to them. And it was an ongoing thing. He did it to people in the, you know, under the old law who had died before his coming, and he still does it. Uh, yet today he was still preaching. And, and that really disturbed a lot of people at that time. Ironically, about 4 o'clock this afternoon, I got a phone call from a lady. She was very upset. She lives on the other side of uh, Knoxville. And she said, I, I've got some Bible questions I, I want to talk to you about, and uh, I'm really disturbed. And we went through some things, and she had some questions, and I gave her scriptures. I didn't give her opinion. I said, well, you, you read what this says, and you tell me what you think it, it says. And, and she began to cry on the phone because she said, according to what the Bible says, the things that I've been taught as I was growing up are not true. And she was terribly upset by that. And, and she began to cry, and, and, you know, after a while she got settled down, and she said, oh, well, uh, I'm sorry. I, I, sometimes I get emotional. It really shouldn't bother me as much as it does because, after all, you know, if I died believing all these lies, I still have Jesus who's going to preach to me if I were lost and I'd get a second chance. Um. That's what I was going to talk about tonight, you know, and that phone call took place about an hour, uh, you know, it lasted about an hour from four to five, and here this lady is saying, you know, there's this idea, First Peter chapter 3, that Jesus preaches to those spirits who are captive, who have died and, and uh, are doomed to hell, you get a second chance. Now, first of all, let me say this. 
If that were true, and I'd preach it all the time, um, that I would love that passage because I, I want people to go to heaven. And if Jesus is, t- or if Peter is telling us that Jesus is going to preach and give everybody a second chance, man, that is a good news passage, if there ever was one. But that is not what the passage says. And here's the way I want us to look at it. I want to look at what this passage means, and then I want to draw the application for tonight. But before we talk about what it does mean, I want to approach it this way. What doesn't it mean? I believe that one of the ways that we can help, you know, sometimes, and Peter said, there are some things in the Bible that are hard to understand. Uh, um, Notice he said some things, not all things. And also notice he said hard to understand, not impossible to understand. There are some things that are difficult to understand. And when we run across those things and when we're not sure and when it's not absolutely clear, sometimes if I can narrow it down by saying, well, I know it doesn't mean this, it will help me to see what it does mean. For for instance, and if I can use Alan sitting here, if I didn't know who Alan was and, and I said... I don't know who that is, some man in a blue shirt sitting right there in the second row, but I know who he isn't. I know that's not my son, either one of them. I know he's not my dad. I know he's not my wife. I know he's not, you know, I can go through, I can eliminate a lot of possibility. I may not know who he is, but I know who he isn't from a process of elimination. Let's approach this passage in that fashion to begin with. Does this passage teach that Jesus did and maybe is continuing to preach to people after they're dead, giving them a second chance? I know that's not the case. Why? Well, number one, it would nullify the importance of Mark 16 and verse 15. What does that passage say? It's the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Why do we go to Honduras? Dale is going um, to the Philippines, uh, and his son are going to the Philippines in a couple weeks. Um, You know, we're we're talking about going to St. Croix, and why do we go to these places and get on these little tiny airplanes, you know, and, and, and fly all over the world and sleep in tents in the rain uh, and the heat of Honduras? Why, why do we do that if Jesus is going to get them after we're done? I mean, am I a better preacher than Jesus? Would people be better off hearing me say it than Jesus saying it? Of course not. But if Jesus is this safety net that's going to preach to them after they're dead and they realize there is a heaven and hell, there is truth and and there is eternity and, and Jesus was who he said he was, if they have all that understanding, what's the sense in doing all this? It takes the significance and the urgency out of the gospel uh, to or the, the Great Commission to go preach. So that's one reason I know that's not the case. If Jesus is going to catch them after they have died, 
why command us to go running all over the earth, expending our resources in that kind of a fashion? A second thing is it would violate what Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 20 says, It is appointed unto a man once to die, and after that he gets preached to again. No, that's not what it says, is it? After that, the judgment. A man lives once, he dies once, and he has a judgment. There's no second chance. There's no preaching to again by Jesus. That would disguard and disrespect or contradict what the Hebrew writer told us in Hebrews chapter 9. Also, it would, um, it would result in universal salvation, would it not? If not universal, almost. Because let's say you're not a child of God, you didn't believe in it, and you die, and you wake up in eternity, and you're lost, and you're in agony like the rich man in Lazarus, Luke chapter 16. You just want somebody to come and and dip their finger in water and, and just touch your tongue to cool you because you're in this flame. You're in that kind of a situation. Who would then tell Jesus no when he comes and says, you want out of here? I can get you out. All you have to do is believe that I really was the Son of God and I'm here talking to you right now, uh, proves that I am who I claim to be. Um, You trust in me and I'll take you out of this place. Who would say no? That would result in universal or if there's just some guy that just, you know, so stiff-necked that he says, I'm still not going to obey. At least the majority would. But that contradicts Matthew chapter 7, does it not? Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, there are two roads, one that leads to life, one that leads to death. One leads to everlasting life, the other leads to everlasting destruction. And he says that road that leads to everlasting destruction, many there will be who go in thereat, but few will choose that path to heaven. That would contradict that passage. Um, In... Matthew 7, again, there are people pleading to be saved at the judgment scene. Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not done many mighty works in your name? Have we not, you know, there, and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Um, He's turning people away. Well, if you had a second chance, why would he be turning people away who were saying, I want it, I want it now. He said, it's too late. Depart from me. I never knew you. That conversation would never take place if Jesus gave people a second chance. And then also, what about um, that, that gulf, Luke chapter 16, that gulf that is fixed? In the Hadean realm, there's this place of torment where people are in agony, and then there's a place of comfort pictured as being in the bosom of Abraham. The one is comforted, the other is tormented, and there is a gulf that is fixed and that you can't 
There's no crossing over. Those who died without Christ can't change. They can't cross that gulf to get up there where the righteous are. And the righteous, they can't go down to where the unrighteous are if they wanted to. That's what Luke 16 says. But if Jesus gives you a second chance and allows you to leave where you are, then there really isn't a great gulf as described by Jesus in Luke 16. So when you approach it by, you know, that's a hard passage. I wonder what that means, that Christ went and preached to spirits in prison. I know what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean we get a second chance. Well, let's look at what it does mean. Let's see if we can't work through this passage and and come to an understanding of what it means. Again, look at verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Listen, he was made alive, or we've been made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to spirits in prison. Here's what I believe the whole passage hinges on. Were these people spirits in prison when Jesus preached to them? or when Peter wrote what he's telling us here. Let let me give you an example of what I might say. I might say, my parents are here. I might say, my mom and dad graduated from Magnolia High School in New Martinsville, West Virginia. They weren't my mom and dad when they graduated from high school. But that's what I said. My mom and dad graduated from... They weren't my mom and dad when they graduated, but they are my mom and dad when I'm telling you this right now. And so when Peter's saying, you know, Jesus preached to these spirits in prison, he's not saying he preached to them when they were spirits in prison, but those people are spirits in prison now as I'm talking to you. And I think that's the understanding of the passage. That's, That's what it all hinges on. But how did Jesus preach to people in the days of Noah? Turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1. Just flip over and look at a passage. And you might want to mark in your Bible, you know, by 1 Peter uh, 3, 18 and 19. Go ahead and mark 1 Peter chapter 1 and look at verses 10 through 11. He's talking about the salvation. He said, The prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Those Old Testament prophets, they wanted to know how in the world is God going to pull this off? How is he going to save man? I don't know. I wish I sure, I sure wish I knew. They looked into it. They wanted to know, but God hadn't revealed all that to them. And look at verse 11. They were searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of the Christ and the glories that would follow. The Old Testament prophets preached by the Spirit of Christ that was in them. He inspired them. He's the one who informed them what to write. They didn't even know what they were writing about. They wanted to understand. It wasn't of their own invention. They were being moved by the Spirit of God that was in them as they wrote. So doesn't this help us? How did Jesus 
preached to people in the days of Noah. The Spirit of Christ was in those Old Testament prophets. And notice, and don't dismiss what it says in verse 18 at the very end, chapter 3, verse 18. How did Jesus preach to these spirits in prison? Did he do it in person? No. It says that um, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached. It wasn't a direct personal preaching, but he preached to them by the spirits. The prophets had the Spirit of Christ in them. In particular, again, look at your Bible, turn it over to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, and it tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So let's put it all together. Jesus preached to the spirits who were disobedient, or to the men who were disobedient in the days of Noah. Now that Peter's telling this, hey, they're spirits now. They're already, they've been gone a long time. They're spirits in prison waiting the, the judgment of God. But they had their chance. Jesus preached to them through the spirits, the spirit that was in the prophets. Noah, a preacher of righteousness, he preached to these people and they wouldn't repent. And so now they're dead. Their spirits in prison, they had their chance. They were preached to, and they said no. That's the meaning of the passage. And the application is very clear and, and direct to us. Listen, you better obey the Lord. There are no second chances. You have an opportunity to obey, you better obey. Because there will come a day when you will die and it'll be too late. Just like these people in the days of Noah. They had an opportunity. Noah was preaching to them. The Spirit of Christ in Noah, he was revealing to them and they wouldn't listen. They continued their wicked ways. And now as Peter writes this, he says, boy, their spirit's in prison now. Nothing can be done for them. They await the judgment. We need to realize the time that we have now is the time to act, to obey, to listen to the Lord. Um, Don't miss out like those people, you know, when God said, all right, time's up. Noah, come into the ark. Let's close up the doors. And the rains came. And all those people on the outside, it was too late. There will be a day like that when God says, time's up, it's over, Um, my son is coming back, will you be ready? How many sermons have you heard? How many invitations have been given in your presence? How many times have you been asked and pleaded with to give your life to Jesus? How many times have you been told you don't have forever There is a day of judgment. Jesus is coming again. We've heard it over and over and over again. You don't want to find yourself in that position, the same position, having had Christ preach to you and failing to respond. 
The other thing that this passage tells me is that God is not some kind of a, you know, this soft-hearted, I just can't bear to punish anybody. I mean, their, their fate is sealed. Their spirit's in prison, he says. He didn't change his mind. He didn't, he didn't after they died, and say, boy, I've taken everybody off the picture except for Noah, his wife, their three sons, and their wives. I, maybe I was a little extreme. He didn't back off of that. And not too long ago, I, you know, the, the passage from John chapter 3, verse 16, we, we know the passage very well. For God so loved the world. And I think sometimes we emphasize it incorrectly. For God so loved the world as if the so is like the manner in which he, he loved or the extent to which he loved us. God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. It is true that he has supreme love for us. But I don't think that's the meaning of the word so in that passage. I think it's an adverb of manner. And if you back up, because it's connected to the passage just before, what's he talking about in verse 14? In the days of Moses, the people were sinning, and God had them lift up serpents were sent in among them and the serpents were biting people and they were dying and if it were not for God's putting that pole up and by looking at it you could be healed of your snake bite but listen the snakes continued to bite he didn't remove the snakes the retribution was there for their sin just because he had provided he didn't remove the punishments for the sin. In that same manner, God loved the world and that he gave his only begotten son. God's not going to say, hey, you know, I love you all so much. I'm not going to hold you to this thing. There won't be a hell. I'm going to save everybody. He's going to save the world in the same way that he saved people in the days of Moses and the brazen serpents. There is a retribution of God to be paid, a punishment to be paid. But those who turn to him can be healed. In that same way, he saves us today. He calls us if we, we've all turned away from his call. And because of that, if we don't respond favorably, we'll stand under his retribution. But if we repent and turn to him... We have salvation. And he tells us how that salvation works. Verse 19 or 20 and 21. Just as Noah and his household were saved by the water, so we through baptism are saved today. That was a picture of something today. Baptism isn't a picture, it's the substance. The the flood was the picture of the reality of baptism. If you haven't been baptized into Christ tonight, I want you to understand two things. There is a judgment. Those who do not respond to the teaching of Jesus will have to pay a price. And the response is to, with a clear conscience, obey him in baptism. If you haven't done that, do that tonight. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful, realize there is a day of reckoning. Get yourself right with God. Don't leave here tonight lost.
If we can help you at all, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.